To keep up with the rising costs of hosting the Hockey Hurts podcast, we encourage you to voluntarily support the podcast by visiting our Hockey Hurts Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash hockey hurts. Welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for the 24th of March, 2016. I'm Cameron Walsh. I'm Ryan Wilson. And we have a new kid in the house at the moment. So congratulations, Ryan. Oh, yes. we uh, The Wilson family is so fortunate to, to have another child in the fold. Newborn. Haven't done the newborn thing for four years. I uh, Yeah, it's like, unfortunately, it's like riding a bike. It is like riding a bike. Um, okay, so today what we're going to discuss on the podcast is we'll have a chat about the uh, Red Hot Penguins, uh, how they're traveling. We'll also have a chat about the expansion draft, which we seem to miss because we got interrupted by someone uh, having a newborn come into their life. And we'll also have a look at the Eastern Conference wildcard race. So without further ado, Ryan, would you like to start with the Penguins, with the expansion draft, or with the Eastern Conference race? Uh, we'll start Pittsburgh. Yes, let's go with a topic that we're both very, very comfortable with. <laughs> um, hottest team in the NHL? I think there's a strong argument for that. Uh, this team has just kept winning lately, and they've been on a very division-heavy schedule you could have looked at that stretch of time as something that could make or literally break their season. And they went from fringe wild card, maybe they make it, maybe they don't, to they're probably going to end up second place in the division. And kudos has to be placed to Mike Sullivan since he's taken the job over. And to the GM, who used to fluctuate between are we a speed skill team? Are we? Do we need to be tougher? Uh, at times during Jim Rutherford's regime, they've wrestled between the two, and then finally they just said, "Screw it, we're going to go speed and skill," and it's been great. So it's it's really funny, you know, because that that strength of schedule that, that the Penguins have had, you and I discussed it at one stage. Like you said, it could make or break their season, but is it an indictment on the quality of the Metropolitan Division, though, as well? Like, the Islanders are sputtering, the Rangers, everyone says they're no good, they're just being carried by Lundqvist. Um, the rest of the division is, is is pretty poor for this season, like Carolina have definitely got a lot of potential moving forward. Jersey is just boredom central, so get there and go, are they fortunate that the Metropolitan, besides Washington, really, is uh, the teams that they basically... Because it was nine games in a row, wasn't it, against the the Metro, that they still have... Like, they're just coming up to the tail end of those nine games. So they've been really fortunate. I said at the start of the year, what's going to be important for Pittsburgh is how healthy are they in the last 10 games of the year and how well are they playing in the last 10 games of the year. And... Everybody's getting on board the the Penguins bandwagon, whether it's you're on board for the fun or whether you're on board because you hate them and you just want to see them flame out again. So everybody's aware that Pittsburgh are are playing well again. Just whether or not they can maintain it long enough to to win a round will ultimately come down to puck luck, I suppose. And small sample sizes, of course, it always comes down to goaltending, and, and the puck luck that you just mentioned. But sustainable results that you want usually are possession-based, how, how well you suppress shots, how, how well you generate them. And in the last 20 games, only the LA Kings have been better than the Penguins at driving play, uh, score-adjusted Fenwick. They only gave up 35 shots on goal in two games against Washington and Philly over the weekend. I think... That's been brushed over an awful lot for a team that is claimed to be small on the back end and suspect in their back end. I think they're a really good example of the best defense is a good offense in that if you've got the puck, the other team doesn't, so you don't have to stress out that much. And I think 
Rutherford's commitment to finally going, all right, what are we going to be? Which team are we going to be? And he actually went, all right, so what are our best B players? All right, let's build up the team around that. And it only took a couple of players to make that transition. All of a sudden, everything started to click because you had the, the Scuderi trade, which was addition by subtraction. No matter how good Daly has actually been, um, it was addition by subtraction. And then you bring in Hagland and, and Perron isn't a bad player. He's just a quarter of a step too slow, whereas Hagelin's a quarter of a step faster than everyone else in the team. So that whole dynamic of that top six totally changed when when you added that, that speed in. And then you've got the bottom six collection of players who, um, at worst, are 50% possession and, at best, are actually contributing offensively. And I think, to me, that is night and day for the end of the Shiro Bilesman era compared to what Rutherford's been able to actually conjure together. Some of it's been luck. Some of it's been Shiro's draft picks that have managed to finally come through the system and, and, and start to show that they're, they're NHL capable bottom six players. So it is all sort of congealing into a nice little mix of a team here. They look like they're enjoying hockey again. Um, the biggest question is, Will they survive enough for Gino to come back? Yeah, I think so. Well, I hope so. No, I think they're playing great. They're they're playing as good as anybody right now without Evgeny Malkin. And that should be a very scary proposition for the East if Pittsburgh gets through round one. And, you know, six to eight weeks is kind of a two-week span for recovery and what if Gino's on the six-week side of things? You can you can kind of hope that, that he is, and he's he's back for what game five of the first round. That that would about be where he'd he'd lob in. Um, I think the big thing I think the big thing for me with Gino, as good as he is five on five, with the way that penalties refuse to get called in the playoffs. Um, because you've got to work through all that garbage and all the skilled players are allowed to be skilled five on five. Um, with the fewer penalties being called, this power play sucks without him on it. They need him purely for that aspect to take advantage of those fewer chances that everyone, everybody gets on the power play. Yeah, their power plays just not the same without him. I don't think that's even... Up for debate, five percent versus, you know, probably close to twenty. Fifteen percent difference. They had a patch there where they were clicking at like twenty six percent for quite some time, and then Juno got hurt the first time, and then it all sort of fell apart again. So it's it's going to be one of those things where you, you look at that liner. Um, what's what, what's been you know Juno's been out. Kessel's been better. And you just wonder whether he's not, because he's not deferring to Gino, he's being a little bit more forceful with his decisions. Um, if he can maintain that sort of attitude with Gino out in the ice, I think that second line can, can be a lot better than it already was, and it was already pretty good. Yeah, here's the thing with Kessel. It's, I don't think it's so much Gino being out, not deferring kind of thing. I just think... You know, he runs hot and cold. Not with effort, mind right you. Now? I don't, I don't, I don't think he runs hot and cold with effort. I think mo- I've never really been like, wow, this guy just doesn't doesn't try. I think oh, I think, I think he loses like boards cool. board battles, which is different from trying. Oh, I agree. This is rubber thing, band it, stick. We've discussed that's it was one of those things that you you sort of heard everyone if it was going to go badly it was always going to be kessel's effort his willingness to want to try that was going to be his undoing but for me it's just been it feels like he's got such a poor shooting percentage this year that it's like he's been in situations to win games and and to tie games that's what it feels like no i know that's what it feels like It, it it's not it's similar to what it's always been it's just some eye-glaring missed opportunities where the net's there yeah. and he do, he just yep. doesn't put it in and weird, you know? Yep. 
No, no, it, it's it's one of those things. He's a polarizing player, and um, I'm I'm sure there are people that are fans of this sport for the hard work and the physical nature of the sport and the the rough and tumble aspect of it. And Kessel does a brilliant job of avoiding almost all of that. So when he's not putting the puck in the net, I understand the argument of, well, he does nothing else, which isn't entirely true because he back checks very well and uses his stick very well to get into passing lanes. But he doesn't provide any physicality about him whatsoever. But there's a lot of this team that doesn't, and it doesn't matter because they're quick now. They can avoid all that stuff. Sullivan's made a really big point the last couple of interviews that he's done because he's been asked, you go, you guys aren't very big, you're not very tough. And he's like, well, I, I look at toughness differently in that we don't retaliate after the whistles. We move on. We make sure we beat the team's whistle to whistle. And if they want to go and do the other stuff, we just have to make sure that we make them pay on the scoreboard. And it's like that's an attitude that I think you and I have been trying to preach for a long time. But you're not out there on the ice, caught up in the emotion of it. So he's done reining the team's emotion handling it in the right direction to try and get the right results. I don't think he I don't think his systematic changes have been earth shattering. They've just been the right ones and putting the players in the right spots to succeed. Yeah, I love the fact that the focus is on whistle to whistle. What kind of team do we have right now? That kind of team very fast moving um, speed. Let's play to the skill part of it. If people want to kind of uh, goon it up, you know, you don't have to quite turn the other cheek, but at the same time, you're not going over the top 2012 playoff versus the Philadelphia Flyers, for example, where you, where you just lose it and and yeah. get off get off the page. And they've been great lately. I, I really don't have many complaints about the the team and how they're going at all. And that hasn't been the case in quite some time, at least f- from where I analyze from. They're in a great spot right now, even without Gino. And who would have thought that was a possibility at all? Well, the last podcast we did when I, I was Robot Central, it was basically the season could be done here because Gino is out. They've won five without him. Uh, and it, it, it's, I think it's, I think it shows you the polarization of um, what Mike Johnson did and what Mike Sullivan have do, has done in that Johnson looked at all the negatives and looked at trying to cover them up. Whereas Mike Sullivan looked at all the positives of the team and decided to um, make them explode. So if he bases it around the fact that they're a skilled team, they're a fast team, um, yes, Gino's out and you can't replace him, but if you run with that same philosophy, everyone down the lineup all the way down to the, the, the 12th forward understands what's required of them going forward, trying to make sure that they're creative um, within inside their skill set, so not to try and do things that they can't do, but to make sure that when they're in situations to score or create something, they do actually try and do it rather than play it safe. Um, Trevor Daly has a lot of misgivings in what he does, but he has a lot of self-confidence when he gets that puck on his stick. And he will skate himself in the trouble, but he is more than happy to try and skate himself out of it. I think it's one of the reasons why he's, um, his Corsi 4 percentage is, I think it's barely 50 or it's just 50. If he got some of those turnovers out of his game, I think he'd be a lot better off. But you don't want him to change that because it would take away from the other stuff that he does. Yeah, he scored two huge goals, one against the Flyers. Pittsburgh got down in the game. Trevor Daly, what, a minute later, scores a goal? Yeah. Does, uh, does the same thing on Washington, scores a that Washington very goal, that, that Washington goal was a great example of the change in the team because when, when Johnson was coach, Daly wouldn't have been allowed to go – for that pinch that Sid passed it. He wouldn't have, he would have been told you have to stay the blue line. And and Sullivan's like, if you see it, do it. And off he went. And that's that's where swapping Scuderi for Daly um, makes that possible because Scuderi could never get into that spot to, to even have that pass go to him. So the change in the coach and making sure that the personnel fits what the coach wants to do. And maybe that's when 
um, Rutherford worked out that they needed to be a skilled team. When he got the coach up, Sullivan obviously had strong convictions in what he wanted the team to be. Obviously, that would have been discussed at the time. Sullivan didn't take long to go out there and try and make some things happen. Uh, sorry, um, Rutherford didn't take long to go out there and make some things happen for Sullivan. And it all seems to have just come together at the right time. This is such a different feeling from probably the last four or five years with Pittsburgh where they had a couple of years there where they're like Washington now. They just coasted their way into the playoffs and were expected to win and then something went wrong just before the end and it all fell apart as opposed to the last year, which was just the team was injured. There was no hope of them doing anything positive in the playoffs. So it's a much nicer feel as a fan to come into the playoffs this way. Everyone's got a positive feel about the team, unless you're a just complete native naysayer about them, but it's a good feel for a change. Here, Here's some of the, the, the great stats with the team. You, you bring in, you know, some of the young forwards that have come up from the the, the AHL. Tom Kuhnhackel, who had a really great goal against, um, was it Washington, when he peeled off, curled off, spun, and, and hit the one-timer in the net? Yeah, forced the turnover. Yep. Uh, turn around one time. But the pass he did in that game as well, was, was it that one or was the Philly game he made that pass in? Yeah, where he was in the neutral zone and, and got the guy with speed through the neutral zone. That was Rust. That was the Washington game as well. So he... he oh, yes, you're he, right. No, but there's another one where he curled. But you're right. The Washington one where he curled and gave it to Rust. He probably feels comfortable now. He's gone and done that against, you know, well, essentially the best team in the league. If he didn't feel like he belonged, surely he would feel like that now. Yeah, exactly. And the great thing about these guys like Kuhn Hockel and, and even Justin Schultz coming onto the Penguins, you look at their relative possession since they've been on the team and it's not very good. You know, it's like minus 6%, but both guys are above 50% possession. So that just means the team is kicking ass. And if you're, if you're a relative guy, if your worst relative guys are above 50%, You've got really nothing to complain about. Exactly. Like, when is the last time this happened for Pittsburgh? Probably 08, 09. Uh, only if you're taking the Bilesma sample. Yeah, that's, well, we're only taking the Sullivan sample here, aren't we? Correct. I mean, the 2011-12 Penguins were probably the, the, the best of the bunch. Yeah, I like to forget about that bunch. That was Jordan Stahl's last year. And yeah. um, not very good goaltending that year. Yeah. See, for me, for me, that feels like the 93 Islanders that year. That 2012 is like for all of those people that grew up as adults and watched that Islanders series destroy the Lemieux versus... Gretzky dream that everyone had sort of feels like that for me in regards to that was such a disappointing flame out and it was sort of like just one bit of a flame out from one player that sort of torched that team which is just so disappointing but they've got a chance to sort of shut everyone up this year and it would be nice for them to do that yeah if your relative guys like you said are above 50 percent teams teams doing a great job so you got the bottom six forwards all coming from the ahl for the most part and thing they all have in common a lot of speed um all playing well under the uh, uh, what Mike Sullivan wants them to do. High event team. It's not like they're not allowing shots ever, but the, the Pittsburgh under Mike Sullivan is just they're generating. It's, there's, a, there's so many different ways to, to skin a cat. I mean, it's, it's really funny now because you look at you just said they're a high event team, right? Well, so are Dallas. 
But if you had both those teams go into the Stanley Cup finals playing against each other, this is the fundamental question between both of those differences. Person in net, would you trust Fleury, Murray, Niemi, or Letman? Like, because those two teams play the same style of hockey. It's high event. So there are going to be chances against both goalies. <laughs> Uh, well, these days I, I like Flurry better. I think Lettinen's been a complete disaster this year. And Niemi, you know, has been whatever. So, Flurry's been great. Flurry, Flurry probably deserves some Vesna whispers. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Yeah, I don't think you'll get those whispers. I think you're right. I just don't think you'll you'll get those whispers, which is a little bit unfair. Um, but it's 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 one of those things where I don't think he's going to get any respect from the general media broader than Pittsburgh until he wins another round, or probably two, until he gets to the conference finals. It's just how it works. So in, until Pittsburgh do make a push, he's going to have that tag on him that oh you can't win. I think that's a little bit unfair considering he did exactly that <laughs> he, he, you know he, he, he won a Stanley Cup he also tanked some pretty good Penguin teams and yeah yeah, he, he, he did yeah. that lately he's yeah. been um, he's been really good and I think Vesna consideration is, is merited at this point in time it's not independent from my thought that eventually they should move on to the younger guy that's cheaper. Um, yeah, but that's roster composition. That's not anything to do with Fleury. That's trying to work out how to make the roster better. So I get that. Uh, precisely. Fleury, um, uh, Nick Mercadante's uh, Mercad per 60, or um, basically he's got a save percentage stat that is relative to the league average of every year. And Flurry, I think, just jumped up right um, behind Lundqvist for this year. So I actually value that stat a lot. And the fact that he's second behind Lundqvist among goalies that have played big minutes, you know, I'm not advocating he win the Vesna. No, you're I, just asking for a little bit of chit-chat, yeah. I, th- I I think um I think his play has merited you know that kind of talk. Well, you could say that you, you can say that about the other two guys on the Penguins roster in regards to the awards that they'd be up for as well. I mean, you get there, you can make the argument for Sidney Crosby in regards to the MVP discussions because it's pretty obvious he got it back together with all the other stuff that that's allowed that to actually happen and. He's third in scoring. There's a very good chance he'll be second in scoring by the end of the year. Um, and his points per game pace during that stretch of him coming back to himself has been ridiculously good. And you, you, you look at that and you go, um, if Corey Perry can win with a really torrid pace at the end of the year, one year for an MVP, I don't see why Crosby can't, but I think we all know who will win it. Sid's been boned over the years <laughs> with the MVP, and I did a summer series on this. I actually, my family goes to to Cape Cod every summer, and in one of the um, blog series I put out, I I did the research beforehand, so I I was just posting the blogs while I was on vacation. I wasn't actually doing the work. It was don't give away, don't give away how the sausage is made. <laughs> well, for this one, it was like, I'm not doing any work on vacation. I'm just going to do it the, the week before. So I did. <laughs> and I, I broke down the MVP races over the years. And Sid should have minimum four MVPs right now, and he doesn't. And he got robbed on a few of them. Henrik Sedin's was criminal, how he got taken from that one 
uh, 2012-13 when he broke his jaw. To your argument, Alex Ovechkin finished the year on a torrid pace and yanked that MVP award. It's recency bias. It's, it's, it's really simple. That's just how it works. It's why it's why you hear uh, the people that vote on all of these awards say your team's got to make the playoffs because then that person's in their in their in their forethought like oh they're important to a team doing well when you know you can you you can make some legitimate arguments that players getting injured like that's the thing with the Sid one with his jaw right he was killing it. Jaw went down. The team still did well without him. They went, oh, well, he's obviously not that important to him. You know what I mean? So if you've got to try and work out how each of those goddamn people that vote are actually taking the definition of the award. It should just be most outstanding player. That's not what it is. It should be that. Yeah. But that's Players can wrong. only control them. I know. Yeah. Because, you know, Jeff Merrick has, has been a big proponent of saying, just give it to, and he does this because he likes to be a contrarian, I know that. But he gets there and keeps saying, just give it to Kerry Price. Again, this year. <laughs> because the award does say, most valuable player to their team. And it is perfectly obvious that with what happened in Montreal, he's the whole reason they went into a nosedive. He's not the reason they couldn't get back out of it. But no, he's, he's not the reason. The reason that they went into a nosedive is because the GM did not replace him with anything even close to average goaltending. If Montreal had average goaltending, they'd be in a playoff spot right now. They had league-worse <laughs> goaltending because the GM was negligent, and well, that is be, why. He's going to be negligent again and still retain Terry in any way. So... Well, that seems like a them problem, not an analysis problem. True. It also seems like a media problem in that they're going to kowtower to the freaking French-speaking media and and not actually go out and hire the best coach for the team when they do eventually go and make a change. And that's baffling to me. Then the other thing that's baffling is Chris Letang's not even mentioned at all for a Norris crack. Wow, that is a great Montreal segue. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you're right. Chris Letang is as deserving as any for a nomination. And I think I speak for both of us on, on this podcast. Eric Carlson is just the runaway winner of this award. Right? Yeah. No, no, no argument from me. I get there and go, what has Drew Doughty done this year compared to Chris Letang that has everyone screaming for Doughty to win it and no one mentioning that Letang should have a crack at at least getting some votes? I don't I I don't see enough differences in their game and what they offer and provide statistically, eye test wise, entertainment wise, that one gets so much press in regards to, oh, he has to win it this year. We can't give it to the statistical anomaly of Eric Carlson. To Latang just not getting mentioned. I just, I don't understand that. Um, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> You've it's, got expectation. it's tough. No, I don't. Eric Carlson is the Norris winner this year for anybody who has any kind of pulse on analyzing this league. He's having an all-time season. He's going to finish with 80-something points. Can't defend, man. Can't defend. Uh. <laughs> Sorry. You, you need, to, you need to shape-shift what your opinion of defending is these days. Defending is the other team not having the puck. Not you being great at taking the puck off their stick. So much. The ability to keep it away from the other team when you have it is such a high-end skill. Not many have it. Eric Carlson, if he's got the puck on his stick, might be the toughest to get it off of 
considering the position he plays and the vision that a defenseman has to kind of wiggle their way through space. I mean, I don't know. The, this this whole Drew Doughty needs to win a Norris because he hasn't so far, and it's this late in his career. It's the Shea Weber argument. Yeah, but here's here's the really funny thing. I want to say that I saw a tweet that said Nick Lidstrom didn't even win his first Norris at the age doubt he is now. <laughs> so it's like, all right, fuck you. <laughs> the other thing for me with Carlson, though, is that he's got, of his 74 points, he's got 24 of them on the power play. So the rest of his points, like 50 of his points have come at even strength. That's I'm- 50... How many guys have 50 even strength points in the league? I I know. And he's only a minus two on a team that is atrocious defensively. He's he's not the reason. Did you reference that stat on this podcast? This is the thing. Like, you know the argument that can't play defense? That's the thing. It's the thing that frustrates the living hell out of me is that it's like. Plus minus is a is a team sport. It's a team stat. You're on the ice when someone else screws up. You know what I mean? That's pretty much what happens. Or the opposition make a ridiculously good play and you had no chance to stop it anyway. It's why I find the the like relevancy in regards to how good is he relevant to the rest of his team. He is ridiculously good in regards to the rest of that team. If you're looking for a player that that is so important to their team. If they lost Eric Carlson, how bad would Ottawa be? They'd be in the bottom five, probably the bottom 30th. three. Yeah, that, that's just that's just how good he is. Like, and I, I know I bring this up sometimes, but like I was listening to um, what was it, Hockey Central at noon when they were talking about Eugene Melnick. Um, God bless you. I don't know how you do it. I I like to try and find opinions that I don't agree with to try and see what other people are thinking to see if there's something that I'm missing because I don't like to keep my little world in a little bubble that I agree with everything because I don't think I get any value out of it. But freaking Doug McLean is a prime example of what is wrong with television media. He comes from a completely different era of what the game currently is now and he gets to preach that stuff on a platform three times three times a week through the week and then also I think on a Saturday night or, or a Sunday night game as well and you get there and go you keep pushing these same old school narratives it's the same with Nick Kiprios it's like they're sitting there saying that everything that's wrong with the Ottawa's defense is there because he's the captain he's got no leadership skills he can't do this and he can't do that and it's like I, I don't understand what else you want that man to do. The puck is on his stick so often. The puck, when it's on his stick, is at the other end of the ice, away from the Ottawa net, that it's like, I don't know what else you can ask him to do. He retrieves the puck when he's in the defensive zone. He holds the blue line really well at the defensive, at the defensive blue line. I, I don't understand what else they expect of him. It's like you look at Drew Dowdy. He does a lot of things well, but he doesn't score many points. No. So are you, are you going to sit there and say that because he doesn't score points, he's not deserving of the Norris? I don't like. I don't understand where they get the definitions of what an elite NHL defender should be. I don't know where they get their thought process in what the league is moving to now. I want to say Matt Cain did a study on this and found that like only three Norris Trophy guys had less points than Dowdy right now or something crazy like that. Jesus. It's insane. This doubt, this whole Dowdy thing is like, I don't want to get into trouble saying stuff about Drew Dowdy because I, I view him very positively, but, but having a good opinion of having a good opinion of Carlson doesn't mean that you have to have a bad opinion of Dowdy. Like that's that it's not either or. Both of them are spectacularly good players. 
It's just that this particular season, Eric Carlson is having a better year than Drew Doughty. No, but that's the thing. You have to you you feel like you have to argue so hard to convince some people that you start dissing the other person when they don't deserve to be dissed. And I feel that way about Drew Doughty. I think I think he's freaking awesome. And, so do I. and I'm not gonna you know, on our podcast bash him as a player because I don't think that's that's merited. I I think very highly of him. But at the same time when we when when you talk about best of awards, the way I view this sport nowadays, I don't think Eric Carlson can be touched. In fact, I think he's more valid as a heart candidate. I think the Norris is a foregone conclusion from people who value the same things that I do and you, mm-hmm. I think you too, mm-hmm. that I think heart argument is more compelling than Norris from where I stand. And, and that... Keep going. Pardon? It was, just, it was one of those things where it's like it, it, the people that get to vote on this still don't look at the stuff that we look at and value it like we do. Some do. But not enough is, is, more, is, is more my point. Like you look at the volume of people that do the voting, they because they, you're right, I, I, I shouldn't bail everyone into one big pile, but the volume of people that get to vote – there's not a large enough volume of them that are willing to look at things outside of the eye test and the traditional box score statistics to warrant understanding why Eric Carlson is so good and why. Because I think you might be right. I, I think an MVP nomination would be fair considering how good he is relative to the rest of his team. And if you want to get there and say, it's who's the most important player to their team, because I think that's how the award is actually written. Well, no, I want it most outstanding. I know you do, but if you look at the way it's written now, most valuable to your team, then relative possession numbers should have a massive sway in uh, the journalists. If people looked at them. Sorry? If people looked at them. That's my point. They should look at them, go, okay, these are the guys that are great at these, at, at, at you know, relative possession to the rest of their team. That must mean they're pretty important to their team. How about I go and watch their games and see if I find value in what they're doing, and then I'll make an informed decision, one, by using the numbers to do a little bit of um, investigative journalism on what happens with the sport, and then go and get the eye test, and then run my opinion on that. It's like the, these things coexist for a reason. They allow you to define your eyeball tests and search so you're not having to watch 100 hours of hockey a week. That's the whole point of using them. And if you can use those stats to, to help narrow down um, your search so you can be more efficient with what you get to watch, why wouldn't you do it? And, and you're right. Carlson is so much better relative than everybody else that plays his position that play his amount of minutes that it is a bit of a ridiculous thing that he's not getting noticed for the heart, but it's because his team's terrible. Yeah, and that's tough to overcome. Doesn't apply to Chris Letang. No, but and... then he's running Crosby's coattails. I actually think when Letang got it on the go, I think Letang improved before Sid did. I will make this argument about Chris Letang. If Genny Malkin's out right now, yes. I think so. They're, they're doing okay. And I don't mean to kind of make a bold statement about a small sample since Evgeny Malkin's been out. I don't want this to feel like I'm <laughs> making any kind of negative comment to Evgeny Malkin because, you know... I hold him in the highest, highest, highest of regard. He's he, he's in my top favorite players of all time, Penguins or otherwise. Um, 
But I do think for Pittsburgh, the way that the team is structured, let's say Malkin's out. You got Sid. Sid's out. You got Malkin. Latang's out. You're you're fucked. <laughs> no, I, I I believe that to be true. I totally agree. You you're exactly right. It, it's one of those things. That's his relative importance to that roster. Um, you know, you make that argument with Carlson. Uh, can you make that argument with Dowdy? Probably. Because I don't really have anyone there that can fill what he does, although he does a very good job carrying around that anchor. Carlson's um, underlying numbers are similar, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. But you, you, you get there with it, and it, it's it's just – yeah, you're right. If, if Latang goes down, whatever wonderful aspirations us as fans might have about Pittsburgh, I think they're toast. I think that's the, the reality of that. Yet he's probably not going to get many votes for the, for the Norris, which I think for me would be disappointing. I think it will be Carlson Dowdy and um, P.K. Suman, and they're – three very deserving people to be in that sort of a category, but for Latang to, to not make it close to those top three or, or in the top five, I think would be a misunderstanding of, of what he of what he provides. Oh yeah. I'll hear arguments for Subban and Burns. But I very just true. don't hear yeah. Latang's name being brought up. You know. Should we shuffle? Should we shuffle on to the expansion? Sure. Is it gonna work? It'll work, but I think um, expansion teams now are looking at a much greater fortuitous situation than in years past. These what, protection what? rules are. Very advantageous to, to the very expansion not, team. They're very not protective. Just just quickly on that, would you be better off being bad your first year, getting the 30th pick in the draft and getting the number one draft pick, or do you want to have these much more relaxed protection rules and if you can garner up enough you know, second-line talent all the way through your, your four lines, make a push for the playoffs. I don't know. But... Exactly. I don't think they need big... expansion in general, but the if fact they're that... doing it, I, I mean, I get it. You're, you're talking $500 million per team. Um, I don't like the... The, the parameters of the expansion draft this time around. Um, Just deal them out what they are. I want to say, what is it? Is it seven forwards? And ah, I can't, I can't recall off the top of my head. All I know is that it didn't feel like much of the core was protected, but anyone under 20, who I think was also protected, um, but you can only protect one goalie, um, and no, they was trying to work out what was going on with the no trade, no movement clauses for this sort of stuff as well. So theory being, you know, because you've got guys like Gino, Sid, Latang, Fleury. Who have NTCs in their? No, it's not NTCs. It's uh, no movement. That's the point I was about to get to. You would assume that they're protected, but they're not. If they don't have a no movement clause in their contract, then there's a very good chance that they're going to become exposed. And if you're Pittsburgh, you do not want to lose Matt Murray, and you do not want to lose Mark Andre Fleury for nothing. No, I think I think the Penguins would trade Flurry before, you know, getting exposed. Because it's not it's not next year; it's the year after, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think it would be 2017. And you're right, that's the time that you've been preaching that Pittsburgh should move Fleury on anyway. So I, I can definitely see a, 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 a course where that could happen. So seven forwards, three defensemen, one goalie is one of the options. Or eight skaters, regardless of position, and one goalie. Not a lot of goalies being protected there, is there? Uh, No, from my guess, um, one goalie per team. So, Matt Murray would, would get taken, considering he's on the World Cup 23 and under team. And I've said it before, I don't want them to trade him, but if they want to get value back, they would should be trading Fleury. Um, I can't remember whether he's got a list of five teams he can say no to or whether he only gives them a list of five teams he can go to. I can't remember what his NTC is, so that might limit their, their options a little bit there, but they, they're going to have to do something in that situation when that, that draft comes around. Yeah, you can't let Murray go for free. No. No, um, expansion draft in general. I mean, pretty liberal, all things considered. These expansion teams, if they if they're on the up and up on on what they're looking at, should be able to do okay. I, I, I get I get that you know this is for this is all being set up for the Las Vegas team, right? So. I understand that, that they want this to succeed and it has they have to have a good product on the ice. Otherwise, you know, the thought process is that no one will want to turn up who's going to want to take free tickets to a bad team when you're in Vegas to have a good time. Um, but I, 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 don't, I don't really think whether the team's good or bad, it really matters. I think people will just go because they're in Vegas and it's something different. You know, they're the only pro sport they're the only protein sport that can be played there if when it gets in. So I could see people rocking up to it. But if they yeah, but, do, if they, yeah. But that doesn't change the fact that it's going to have a impact on the league somewhat with this expansion draft. I know. But the owners will say it's 500 mil. Thank you very much. No, I get it. But, like, there are going to be a lot of good players exposed. Yeah, <laughs> and it will be very interesting to see through these teams that have to expose players. I think this is where you'll find out whether teams value advanced stats or not. Who gets exposed, who doesn't get exposed, who teams retain, and then what their excuses are for letting guys go, um, all that sort of stuff. That's a bit that I, I would probably find fascinating. Um because you'd get there and you'd just probably shake your head at some of the people that, that get exposed. You go, this guy provides so many good things. Why are you letting him go? Yet you're keeping this person that is good in the room. So it's that sort of stuff. Like if I was the Rangers, I'd be hoping for this to happen because you could get rid of Dan Girardi. No, who's taking him? Depends on who the GM is, doesn't it? Jeez. I mean... No, I, I I just want to have higher hopes for this expansion team. I guess <laughs> who would take that guy? I'm, I'm I'm just I am just well. Put it to you this way, freaking we were talking about this guy before the podcast, Mister Ego King. Like you think he'd get there and go? I need someone that can play like that and would take freaking Dan Girardi. Well, you need to ex- expand upon who the Ego King is. Oh, Touche Turtle, freaking Pierre Maguire. Think about it. He was in. He, he interviewed for the Penguins job, didn't he? I guess technically. So I get there with it, and, and you go. What would stop him from interviewing for the Las Vegas team? Las Vegas yeah, he thinking he's an asshat. Well, I'll put it to you this way. I hope they do think that. <laughs> 
I just this is the thing. Until you know who the management team is that's going to be running that operation, you just you've got no idea what direction the team's going to go in. And this that's that's the thing. Like you just you don't know. Like, I would find it absolutely hilarious if the league set these rules up in this particular way that made it possible for them to field a very competitive team because of the lack of protection for a lot of you know decent second line and third line players, and they go. Screw it, we're not going to grab all those guys. We are going to try and be bad so that we get a top-end talent for the next 20 years. And I would have no problem with that thought process because you can build a roster up around that from there. I I think they would gift the, the franchise's uh, third or fourth overall pick too. And that would be smart. I don't know if it's necessarily fair, but that would definitely be smart. I don't think one and two should be given up. Three and four, I think that, I think you'll see something like that. Mm-hmm. But every team under under the seven forward, three defenseman thing, they're going to be de- some goalies and defensemen exposed that are okay, even the yep. forwards. No, I know. It's the, the way they've, they've set this up so if the team does go, we need to be good straight away, which makes absolutely perfect sense because I don't think they're actually going to have a lot of time to go from doing the, for one of a way to put it, the tank option, which is be bad, get a high-end generation talent and then build up from there. So they, they may not have that time to, to run that option. So the league is, is really handing them the opportunity to – be good pretty quick if they grab the right players. And that's the thing with the draft, expansion draft or, or entry draft or whatever. You've still got to, you've still got to look at the players, analyze what they, who they are and work out where they're going to fit in your roster for whoever the head coach is, what style of hockey he wants to play. The thing to keep in mind is that, Teams can only lose one player for the expansion draft if there's one expansion team and two if there's two. So there may be some tough decisions, but you you, you shouldn't be like completely gutted. No, well, they can't get there and grab Matt Murray and... Well, they could. No, 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 but then they couldn't grab someone else. If it's one team. It's not going to be two. It's going to be Vegas and that's it this time around. Yeah, that's valid. I think you may be and then they need, Then they'll need to move someone to Quebec, um, I would say. Carolina. And then And it could be because that keeps them in the east. And then they need to, to either add a team over on the west coast, like west-west coast, or move Phoenix there. And then they should just do away with all the divisional crap that they've got and just play each other the same amount of games and then just go 1-16 to for the playoffs. <laughs> Are you trying to, like, have yes. a, a, an insane podcast right now? <laughs> Sorry. Throwing, throwing that one out there? <laughs> hey, dude, I've got a cast on my leg now. I've got nothing else to do. Yeah, you you gave congratulations for for this kid thing, but poor Cam it ruptured his Achilles uh, indoor soccer. Yeah, whoever said it's a soft sport, hey? Yeah, I mean, yours is more traumatic than mine. Ah, it's all right. I just have to. Get used to using crutches for the next 12 weeks. So it's like, oh, I'll be good at it by the time I, I get to the end of the, the plaster cast. So that's all right. I mean, don't get me yeah. wrong. This this baby is up all night long. <laughs> but the by the time your cast is off, I think I think the baby will actually have a, a sleep schedule. So I think I you're, so. you're actually not. You're doing worse uh, in that regard. <laughs> 
it'll be it'll be all right. It might actually force me to sit down and write because I've not written for a while. So, you know, who knows? Yeah, uh, we haven't actually. Did we? Did we discuss? Did we discuss the Eastern Conference wildcard race? I don't think we got to it, did we? No. Um, briefly, just my thoughts. I think Philly with um, Gossis Bear, they're, they're doing good things right now. I know they just totally screwed up um, losing. Again, they were up 2 nothing with one minute left. But, you know, you get a point, you get a point. And this 2-1 system, if, if you keep going to overtime, you're, you're doing fine. Detroit is who I worry about. And Detroit is um, such a weird team because the last 20 games... They're a top 10 possession team, more towards um, ninth place. But if you extrapolate to um, the last 10 games, they, um, they're they down to about the mid-15s, 14th place. And that's not where you want to be when you're chasing a playoff spot. Hey, look. Peter Mrazek's out. Jimmy Howard's in there. They've won four of their last ten games. They got absolutely torched by Tampa the last time they played. It'll be interesting to see whether that possession will improve when Mrazek gets back on the ice. You know how some teams get a little bit defensive and then it all sort of falls apart when their number one's not there? Maybe maybe just having Mrazek back in net will, will allow them to to be a little bit more aggressive and actually get some returns for, for their possession that they've got. But that, that drop-off would be concerning, I think, to go from, you know, 8, 9, 10 to getting closer to the pointy end of the year and, and to be dropping backwards. You sort of want your possession to be trending the other direction. You'd like that, but, you know, doesn't always work that way. No, 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 no. And look, to be honest, if if Blashill can get that Detroit team into the playoffs, um, it'd be a pretty good effort when you think about it. New coach, so new system. Um, the superstars of that team are you know a year older. Um, I don't think a playoff would be an issue if Datsuk could play more games, but it's just the problem you've got with, with, with Datsuk. You just you've just got to get him on the ice as often as you possibly can. Um, losing Mrazic. Uh, at the time of the year that they did certainly didn't help their cause. So it's, it's tough. Um, It's a tough situation there, but it would, it would hurt Detroit to end up ninth. What do you get for ninth? Sort of nothing. You know, they were kind of expected to make the playoffs. Whereas Philly's in, Philly's in bonus territory right now, aren't they? A little bit. I didn't, I I didn't have them competing right now i didn't either I, I had them i had them probably where where ottawa is really it's probably where where i had them sort of pegged and and well done to Haxtell. like he's he's enlivened that that franchise and and got that team playing really nice hockey but it feels as though he's been given a team with a little bit more pace with some of the roster changes that that Hextel made and it's accommodated what Haxtell wants to have happen. If your general manager and your coach are not on the same page, you're screwed. Yeah. Absolutely. Anything else you want to cover off? Um, no, knowing that the sooner we, we close this off, maybe I'll get some sleep tonight. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, not really. I think, um, 
you know, we're getting into the end of the year and Pittsburgh, super interesting to both of us and just how well they've been playing is I think the top story in the NHL. I don't think anybody in November thought Pittsburgh was anything. I thought they were off to a terrible start. Their stars were not playing like stars. And now you got these arguments that we talked about earlier in the podcast. Um, Sid for Hart, Latang for the Norse. And whether people want to believe it or not, I think Flurry's closer to um, Vesna conversation than I think, you know, a lot of people want to admit. So, yeah, for for me, that's that's he won't get that acknowledgement because of the playoff stuff, and they shouldn't. They you should be able to make that analysis separately, but it just doesn't happen. You know, if you watch other broadcasts, um, when you watch Penguins games, rather than putting yourself through the diarrhea that is Root Sports, um, you obviously the, the guys covering games have got to try and talk about things in the breaks and stuff, and and it, it still gets mentioned. It still gets mentioned that, that you know Fleury's great in the regular season, but he's not great in the playoffs, and and that 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 thought process bias will almost always come into play when people put their votes in for those sorts of things. It's like, oh, yeah, he's great in the regular season, but he's not great in the playoffs, so I don't want to give him credit for having a great regular season. It's it's just unfortunate. That's how it goes, though. Mm. Mm. You know, it, I don't know. I don't know how you can't look into and and do the research and come to some of the conclusions that people come to. Because it means, look, I think way back at the start of the podcast when we sort of started getting into some of this stuff, I think you made a really good point. It means these people can't just create their old narratives still. And that's why they don't want to delve into into the numbers because what they think the game is or should be might bear out differently in the numbers. Hell, I've gone and done some research for particular articles where I've gone, you know what, I'd like to know whether this is actually true or not. And I found out that the process that I was I was going through turned out to not be the case. I ended up not writing the article because I had to sit there and try and work out how to process that stuff and get it out there, not in a the numbers are wrong or, or my thought process was wrong, but trying to get there and actually write in an articulate way, I thought this was the case, the numbers showed me this, and I find that very interesting because it was like I didn't know how to to write that up, and I'm going to have to learn how to do that. But it, it doesn't stop me from wanting to go and find out more, more stuff, I suppose. No, you always just have to be open to, you know, the information that's out there and, I think a lot of the analysis that, you know, the general public gets is just kind of whatever the people feel like saying. They they don't put in the time. And There's no, there needs to be like a, a plea fact checker for like the NHL. When you hear when you hear a commentator come out and say something else, and it's like, okay, let's just go and actually check the numbers and see if he is bad in his own zone or whether he just looks like he's a bad skater who doesn't know what he's doing. And you get there and you find out that his possession stats are actually very good and that he's um, he's actually carrying the guys that he plays with. And when he's off the ice, there are more goals, there are more shots against when he, than when he's on the ice. And it's like, so he's obviously not that bad of a defender. It's that sort of stuff that I wish could get integrated into TV coverage or um, Sportsnet or TSN or one of the local coverages would, would have the courage to hire someone and get them on the screen and do um, do live on-the-spot updates on those sorts of things and integrate it into their coverage. And maybe they will. I mean, Dim Filipovich is now, is now podcasting specifically for Sportsnet um, I think he would do well in, in, in that environment. I don't see why TSN haven't got Travis Yost or Scott Cullen 
to do stuff like that in their coverage. Jamie McLennan um, is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to um, advanced stats, but he doesn't seem to get the opportunity to put them into the broadcast. So somewhere in that whole chain of events, there needs to be a change in thinking in, in regards to just getting it out there. It doesn't have to be lots of graphs that I, I think Micah stuff would be great for TV. It, it just needs to be integrated somehow to show that these things can be of value to you people and it would make our job a lot easier if you could just take the information a little bit easier. Well, you have absolutely no argument from me. I am preaching to the converted on this one, aren't I? No, I mean, put in the effort. There's evidence out there. And, you know, it's not come to Jesus moments with it. There, <laughs> no. there's, there's wiggle room here. People think... People think the possession stats, like the the straw man argument, is these possession stats aren't the end all be all. And we know, we know, right? Understood. So let's take those, put them into context, combine them with offensive outputs, and come up with some kind of evaluation that's based.